Hey everyone, welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us today. And if you've listened before, welcome back. I'm joined as usual by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist, he's a best-selling author, and he's also my dad. So dad, how are you doing today? I'm really good, Forrest. And as I said to you before we started recording here, I just appreciate how kind you are to me. In general, and also, you know, giving me feedback like, don't lean in too far to the mic or, you know, make sure you're recording. <laughs> or, or are you late again, Rick or dad? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I am late again. Anyway, thank you for being kind of Well, late. you know, I try to be nice about it. And I also appreciate that you're often a very good sport about all of the buttons we need to push <laughs> and, and wires that need to be turned to get this particular plane off the ground over here. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's kind of a way into thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, yeah. which is how do we want to be in the world and how do we want to change in the ways that support us? Because we're coming to the end of the year here and it's that time of year that people start thinking about how they want their next year to be. And for a lot of people that can take the form of resolutions and it's normal for resolutions to be about our behavior. And we can think about behavior a lot of different ways, right? Like being nice to somebody is a behavior. And a lot of people are trying to both give up maybe more problematic behaviors and embrace some more positive ones. And that is great. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. But today I'd like to really focus on this in kind of an inside out way, really thinking about how we can reinvent ourselves or step into new ways of being in the world that support the parts of us that we really want to lean into a little bit more these days. So big picture, I'm wondering about how you think about this time at the end of the year kind of period and, and how you think about maybe New Year's resolutions or things like that. And are there any like frameworks or models for you that you found useful? Yeah. Well, for example, for a long time, I think even before you were born, I was regularly leading an annual workshop. I think it was called Goals and Intentions for the coming year. And we would do really structured, standard stuff. We would bring in some playfulness. We'd bring in some imagery alongside the words that people would use. And then we would fool around in a workshop context with acting things out. So right there are three practical things that are, you know, worth doing, and we may come back to it again and again, you know, stating your intentions, your goals in some verbally clear way, adding imagery to it, maybe with pictures you cut out of magazines or just imagining things in your mind, and then playing around with moving your body or even saying things out loud that would be consistent with that. So I did all that, did a lot of mm -hmm. that, and I'm way forward. It's all good. We may talk about more. And... This topic has prompted me to just reflect more, I think along the lines you're wanting here. And so what's come there for me is two combinations of two seemingly paradoxical things. The first combination is the recognition that on the one hand, it's always now. There never is a future in reality. It's always now. And we can really deepen in our sense of just being in the eternal present, which is continually changing and continually renewed on the one hand. On the other hand, there will be a future <laughs> and say we will live into it, you know, uh, you know, as, as they say, God willing and the creek don't rise. And so how do you want it to be, right? So it's this combination of being in the present while also influencing the best possible future in the next breath, the next week, the next year for yourself and other people that combination. 
The second seemingly paradoxical combination is intentionality and mystery. In other words, as you could readily say about me, I'm Captain Intentionality. I'm definitely an intentional (laughs) person to a fault. And there's a place for being determined, being diligent, plugging away, and being deliberate about it. I see a lot, a lot of people, they just drift. They drift, especially in the most important parts of their life. Well, the Mm -hmm. least important parts of their life are well-structured, right? But the most important parts, expressing themselves fully, healing from the past, awakening in some broad sense, finding true love, whatever it is, the days go by and the days become years and then you look back and uh, those uh, ships have sailed. Those doors are now Mm -hmm. closed to you, right? So there's a place for intentionality. Well, at the same time, especially if you're a fairly intentional person like me, openness to mystery, Mm. not knowing. And in fact, inviting influences into your life that come outside the frame of the status quo. Like for me recently, I've gotten involved in this global coalition for compassion, and I'm eagerly interested in inputs that come to me from perspectives I have little background in, such as from the First Nations people, indigenous people around the world, from the global south, and from cultures and ages that I've been out of touch with for a while. You know, it's the invitation to mystery and an openness to it combined with intentionality. What do you make of all that? I think it's a great way to think about it because we spent a, a whole episode a while ago and it ended up being one of my favorite conversations we've had on the the topic of integration. The sort of thought exercise I'd been playing with at the time about how a lot of personal growth is about bringing together seemingly opposing things. Mm. On the one hand, we do want to have freedom and openness in our lives. And on the other hand, we do want to have structure that moves us toward more of what we want. And I was actually just going to ask you in a second, kind of put you on the spot and what are some of the ways that you're looking to change over the next year, but I'll just volunteer myself because it actually completely connects to this. My big goal over the next year, I think, to put really simply, is more freedom and less constraint. Hmm. So as you know, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, I am not a clinician. I do not have clinical training, but I think that if I were, I would have a pretty developmental sensibility. Hmm. And a lot of my life, I think, has been about reconciling various developmental experiences. When I was pretty young, I lived on the edge of my skin for a long time, and I was essentially punished for that in various ways by authority figures, other kids, whatever. And it caused me to really withdraw into myself and become much more rigid and constrained. Extremely overthoughtful about my behavior, overthinking what I should or shouldn't be doing, uh, really repressing my own impulses with other people in ways that I probably didn't need to, being quite controlling about the ways in which other people express themselves, because as we've talked about in the past, those things triggered my own material, so I needed to solve my problem by controlling other people. (laughs) And uh, that's never a good spot to be in, by the way. And, (laughs) you know, I I definitely lived that life for a minute, would not recommend it. Um, Maybe that's a chapter in your autobiographical <laughs> memoir. I don't know. Or yeah, a book. yeah, sure. You know, it could be a sure. bestseller for us titled <laughs> lightly, maybe, If Only You Would Change, right? Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Yeah. That's That was the life I was living for a minute. If yeah. only you would change. Yeah. But yeah, that was my life for a long time. And I, I think that as I've, as I've aged, I've aged out of some of those behaviors, and I still have some of them, and I'm trying to age out of the rest of them. 
is sort of the simple way to put it. So my my goal over the next year is feeling more um, more free in myself, in my behavior, in the way I am, all that stuff. Mm. So it's weird to have my focused goal be more freedom to bring ah, together those right, opposites right. you were talking about earlier. Right. This is great for us. I super appreciate your candor. And as we talk about qualities we want to increase in the coming year, cultivate, yeah. express more. And we think about qualities also that we want to disengage increasingly from. We want to withdraw fuel from them. Really, really good, right? One way to frame all that a little bit is in terms of evolution, personal evolution, psychological, psycho-spiritual evolution even. What are we developing, including levels of development? And as part of that, I just find that it's, it's really helpful to, here's another combination, to integrate the profound and the mundane. In other words, mm. in the mundane, maybe it's, you know, for many of us, it's 80, 20, 90, 10, 99 to one, mundane to profound. Just the mundane business of a checklist every day, knowing some things you always wanna do every day, knowing some things you wanna not do every day, so forth. But then profound. So when you raise the question of freedom, if I may ask, do you have any sense of a ground or a space of unconditioned possibility? If only in your mind, let alone in ultimate reality. Yes, but I'm not. I'm, That's good. Could you connect? Could you connect the dots for me here, Dad, in terms of how you how you get from one of those to the other? Yeah. Well, what I mean is, so you're talking about inner freedom, and maybe I'll report it for myself, and and I think for people in general first. When you're aware of the field of awareness itself, just awareness, mm. just an ordinary human vertebrate awareness, let's say. <laughs> Who knows what spiders are aware of? But anyway, uh, <laughs> that the field of awareness is full of possibility. Mm -hmm. It itself is not yet implicated in anything. It's just a field. It's like a whiteboard, right? Or a TV screen, let's say, through which stuff flows. And the more that a person can just have a sense of awareness and even increasingly with some experiences of this, identifying with awareness or abiding as awareness, being more and more the ground and less and less identified with the figures moving through it, you know, the figure ground metaphor. That immediately gives a person more sense of freedom. If there's a spaciousness, a less contraction and identification with any particular That's part yeah. of the mind. Yeah, just mm -hmm. per se you know, tuning into awareness. And we're still inside the natural frame of the Big Bang universe. We haven't even touched, you know, transcendental unconditionality, <laughs> like whatever. We haven't gone there at all. All of the preferred dad topics, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, <laughs> try not to indulge my hobby horses. I, I don't anyway. mind them, yeah. They're not my own either. They're, they're the classic ones. Sure, you yeah, totally. To. Anyway, so I just kind of wanted to ask that and even name that for other people as well, because I'm yeah. sure you're not the only person, me included, honestly. I mean, part of my wishing us for the year is to rest more in a certain way of being. And I think that's a way for, for a lot of people to think about their goals for the year. To put what you're saying kind of maybe into a, a framework that's that's accessible for me, I think that that whole idea that when we're when we're right now, we are not as burdened by other things is just true. And I think yeah. it's a great way to think about it. 
that like, and maybe part of what you're speaking to is something that I wanted to talk about a little later, but we can start to wander into it now, which is like, what are the things that support us in changing and what are the things that constrain us? Because I think that this idea that like life is full of possibility, to put it into kind of like a little bit of a trite phrase, yeah. is itself such a supporter of our ability to change. Because right. a lot of the time we stay away because we think that that's the way it needs to be. Like this is the way reality is. This is the way I am. And to stay safe, I must be this way. But that's just not true. Like that is an untrue statement most of the time for most people in most situations. Of course, there are times where we do need to be a certain way in order to preserve our safety. There are situations we can be in that might like enormously constrain our behavior. That's all real. But big picture, like that sort of broader field of like what's possible for us in our lifetime, unconstrained from situation, having the belief that like things can be a different way, I think is immensely powerful. And that's part of what you're pointing to here. It's like a little piece of what you're saying, I think. And getting into more intimate contact with that, to use a phrase that you use sometime, that kind of like emergent edge of now, like uh -huh, that right. feeling of like, oh, this moment, you know, know. ooh, it could be different from the last one. Like yeah. that's actually really cool and very useful, very practical. Wow, that's really great. And then I, I kind of wonder for you, Forrest, in addition to, you know, this um, kind of tossing in a snowball here, I haven't heard you mention this. And since we're going all head shrinky here and feel free to turn about as fair play, <laughs> <laughs> Where is she? You know, you don't tend to talk about encouragers or mentors, mentors, mm. or allies or benefactors. You don't use that language very much at all in the pod or elsewhere. And I just wonder, are there, you don't even have to name them if you kind of want to protect her privacy or not get too revealed here, but are mm -hmm. there people in your life or imagined figures or energies that feel very encouraging to you of breaking free from old constraints and opening into more spontaneous and unregulated ways of being. Yes, but I think you're actually pointing to something that's kind of cool that I haven't really thought about very much. And I hope that this is interesting to people <laughs> listening because I did not expect us to just go into forest psychodrama over here. But but hey, I'm here for it, and, and hopefully we didn't lose everybody. Well, you're such a good sport always, too. I hope it's okay. You know, no, it's, I'm, I'm, your... I, I'm fine with it. I just hope it's interesting for people. Yeah. Um, to to talk about this in a way that that might be broadly applicable. Yeah. I think that I'm really self-referenced. I, I think that I'm very much about hey, forest. End of the day, it's you changing you, and other people are either hard to change or not yours to change or on their own individual journeys. And so it's kind of your job to walk up the mountain. Mm. And I think that, that that mentality is a double-edged sword, to your point. And you're pointing to an edge of it that I don't think is necessarily obvious, which is that if you have that mindset, it becomes a lot more, you're, you're just less likely to orient in a way toward which you're getting a lot of outside help. And I think that that's true. I think that I'm kind of like self determined kind of to a fault. I don't know mm -hmm. if I'm using that word quite yeah. right, but I think you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. And I really view it as like, Forrest, it's your job to change yourself if you're going to change. And that's like really my, my internal commentary. And maybe that's untrue. And I think that a huge resource for everyone is their situation, which includes the people that surround them. It includes the environment they 
find themselves in. I mean, if you want to really make a big change over the next year, one of the most effective ways to do it is to step into a new environment or to try to surround yourself with different kinds of people. And I think you're maybe pointing to your dad where, where you're sort of saying, hey, Forrest, if you wanted to do these in this way, a really effective way to do that would be to shake the snow globe a little bit in terms of what you're surrounding yourself with is, is maybe a way to interpret what you're saying. And to answer your question, I, I do have people like that, but I think I could lean into that even more. And I think that it's not my natural tendency to find external supports. That's great. I, I appreciate your your openness to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I look back on my own life, including key episodes when I was a teenager, in which different people, I'm thinking of a social studies teacher I had in passing, and I didn't have a lot of contact with him, but there was some way in which he saw a different me. He saw more of a real me than the artificial extremely constricted persona I presented at West Covina High School. And <laughs> he had a he was a benefactor. He opened doors for me just by what he saw in me. He didn't give me any formal advice. He didn't say stuff like, oh Rick, you're fine, lighten up. Nothing. He just he related to a person I wanted to become, which was latent within me. And that alone was really influential. So I, you know, as me, I definitely self-determined to a fault. You know, I've, I've had numerous people who've really opened up possibilities for me. And I think one thing that can happen for someone is if they're overly object referenced when they're young, they can be under object referenced as an adult. What I mean by that lingo is that if a person was overly sensitive to the reactions of others and overly involved with mm. what they thought was going on in the black oh, box I love of this, other Dad. people. This is great. This yeah. is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then there could be naturally, we swing back and forth, a correction that goes too far the mm-hmm. other way. Sure. And yeah. the other thing is that we're just profoundly tribal creatures, just our biology. And we live in community, we survive in community, we cannot survive outside of community or without the supports of community. And so it just is kind of unhuman (laughs) in some sense to turn away from the valuable influence of, of others, including others who say, hey, you really can cut loose. Your natural, less regulated, more spontaneous ground of being as who you are is just great as it is. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. afford to, to pop the lid on it more. Like that that voice, that influence, those people, even just imagining them, like I'm doing it right now, because I tend to be yeah. pretty uptight, actually, even though I can get a little <laughs> weird sometimes, as you know. But yeah, just like um, remove the gag. It's okay. That's a great thing. Totally. And, and I love that point you made about the ways in which we tend to rubber band over the course of our lives and how a lot of the time what happens, that idea of being like, if you were a little too externally referenced, maybe as a way to put it, or, or, you know, like object focused out in the world when you were younger, you had some bad experiences around it. Well, how do you correct? You correct by protecting yourself, by withdrawing, by making it about you with you, all of that stuff. And I I think that that that's actually pretty insightful about my experience. Also, to, to do a little cultural commentary for a second, it's like the the myth of rugged individualism a little bit here. Like, it's a great fantasy to feel like it's just us doing us. Like, believe me, that fantasy appeals to me. Like, I, I get the draw, but it's just not attached to reality. As you were saying, we are such tribal individuals. So 
Our growth takes place in community a lot of the time. Our change takes place in community. And if you're really interested in changing in these meaningful ways, a great place to look is like the five to 10 people that you spend the most time with. And that's, of course, a very common piece of advice, but I just think it's really true. Like we are so affected by our important relationships. Yeah, and is there one person maybe that you want to open to more influence from? Like Mm. in my case, for example, a couple of years ago, I started reaching out to half a dozen really top meditation teachers because I felt that there were things I could learn. And so I opened to their influence. I kind of opened my mind to them, put the cards on the table, and said, hey, what do you think? And each one of them had some really good influence for me. So if someone comes into the new year, 2023, they might want to uh, reflect on, hey, is there a person or two you could open to, or maybe deliberately read a book, that's another way into it, or Check out the YouTubes from a certain person or multiple people, cultural, even cultural um, influences. I've been reading um, Braiding Sweetgrass lately Mm. and a lovely, lovely book about indigenous wisdom entwined with the natural world, especially the world of plants. And that's been a great influence for me, for example. So opening to positive influences. Another one to build on is to step away from negative influences. You decide what they are. It could be just disengaging from your brother-in-law's Facebook feed. <laughs> you know, I, and that's I'm pretty speaking, prescient these days, Dad. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty I, top of mind for people. My brother's you know, are just fine. They're just fine. You know, they're all good. Um, but yeah, or just thinking about how rapidly you disengage from certain kinds of interactions. They're very scripted. You know what's going on. You say this, they say that, and that makes you say this, and they react like that. It's very predictable much of the time. You just say, you know, no moss, I'm out, and no need, bless you. I just don't want to do that anymore. So that's another thing. And people you spend time with even, do you really need to spend time with that person as an add to your life? You know, that's another thing to think about. What are you disengaging from? Totally, and I think that environments and situations that, particularly ones that were significant for us back then, whenever back then is for you, exert just this extremely powerful psychological hold on us that I don't really totally understand, but maybe somebody who's more versed in this than me could offer some commentary on it. Like going to a high school reunion, how quickly everyone just falls back into their old ways of being and relating and doing. You know, like the system, the power of the shared system just reasserts itself so quickly to give, again, like as long as we're doing personal story time with Forrest here, just for us for Thanksgiving. Like, I live in my own condo now. Laurel, my sister, lives in her own apartment now. You guys live in your house. We go back home for Thanksgiving. And within 10 minutes of walking in the door, I'm feeling these like slightly odd old feelings come up where I I see myself get like a little constrained or a little tight or a little judgmental or a little whatever. And I'm like, what on earth is going on here? Because nothing is happening to make me feel this way. It's just the system is reasserting itself. And so those like old feelings started to bubble up. And I had to do like a pretty deliberate process of being like, yo, bro, relax a little bit, you know? Because that just that stuff has such a powerful psychic hold. So again, if you're looking for a way to change, big thing to look at is your situations. Like what are the situations that are trying to keep you the way that they are? Because all of our relationships, all of those systems 
seek to maintain their homeostasis. They do not yeah. want to change because change is hard. It takes energy. It disrupts the system. We, we just don't like it. And often it's very difficult to maintain our positive change when we step back into old systems, even if they're like by and large very healthy systems, like our family system. You know, as, as yeah. family systems go, we're doing it okay. And yeah. even so, this stuff just becomes so hard. It is true. And I think as well, there's a place for keeping things in perspective and being kind to yourself about it. In other words, we are multitudes, as Walt Whitman put it about himself. We are archipelagos psychologically. We are villages. We are, you know, mosaics, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera. pick your metaphor. Yeah. yeah. And so there you are, you go home and let's say for the holidays, or you step into a familiar situation and a part of you gets called forth gets triggered, gets engaged, and maybe it's not so happy for you. Maybe you do stuff that's not so happy for others, and then you are finally out of that whole situation. You've, you're driving away from where you were, let's say, or you're out of that business meeting, or you're no longer being scolded by that person, and you just kind of feel bad about yourself maybe. Oh, man, I'm such a jerk. That part of me came out. Oh, it's why I've done so much therapy on that. Why am I sucked back in? Blah, blah. The truth is, it was just a part of you. It was mm. just a part of you that understandably yeah. slotted into that very familiar hole, shaped hole, uh, yet again. That's okay, but you're out of there now. You're out of there now. Give yourself some spaciousness. So I think about that part. The other thing I want to just mention and kind of ask about is with regard to not being so trapped in familiar forms, one of the most powerful things people can do is just to step off the wheel for 20 minutes, sit outside at night, Look up at the stars. Just get out of the familiar script. If you can, go to a park and just stare at the trees for an hour eating your lunch or sit on a beach or take a day or some part of a day. Go for a drive, get on the subway, get on the bus. Just get out. That's so useful. Break the routine, yeah. Yeah. And if you have the capacity, the privilege perhaps, to do it for a longer period, like a, you know, a three-day weekend workshop of some kind, or maybe meditation. When I came home from um, my first meditation retreat, I remember saying, nothing is as powerful as nothing. Because you're just there with your that's, mind. That's very Zen koan of you there, Dad. <laughs> that's true. It was a Vipassana-style retreat, mm. you know, with very little direction, but long periods of sitting, walking, sitting, walking meditation with very mindful chores in between. And anyway, so you might think about what would be a good opportunity for you, whoever's listening, to, it's like a mini retreat, a micro retreat, just step off the wheel, let the dust settle in your mind, mm. let the natural clarity of the inner pond that you are, you know, emerge as the sediments in it settle. That's a good thing. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy the Dr. John Delaney show. Dr. John's show was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment, and it speaks to how much value people get out of the show. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, and he's been working with people for over 20 years, and the show has a very cool format. Real people call into the show, and he walks them through how to navigate a tough situation related to common challenges. Maybe it's something related to their relationships, anxieties, or emotional well-being. 
He explores a lot of topics that are similar to what we talk about on this podcast. But while we can sometimes be pretty theoretical in nature, the format of John's show just creates a lot of directness and practicality to it. I think it's actually a really nice compliment to what we do here on Being Well. No matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Delaney Show is here for you. And if you ever need some advice, you know who to call. Listen to the Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. As somebody who's really struggled with skin issues like acne over the course of my life, I know just how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. No complicated routine, no multi-step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to work with the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And as somebody who's used plenty of complicated routines in the past, I love the simplicity of using their OSO1 face topical peptide. Just cleanse, pat your skin dry, and apply it twice daily. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you came from, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. If you're like me, you've probably started to pay closer attention to your long-term health as you've aged. Turning 35 was a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I'm always looking for good sources of information, because it's often really difficult to separate fact from fiction when it comes to our physical health. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. To maybe loop back to what you were saying about the at the very, very beginning about the integration of opposites here, one of my favorite lines is from Carl Rogers, and it's the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Yeah, beautiful. And I think that that is just like, such a fantastic commentary on all of this, right? Because we're talking about change, but the funny thing is that change is really supported by seeing things clearly and being like, yeah, this is the way that I am right now. Or being like, yeah, this is the way that this situation is right now. And I am what I am, and the situation is the situation. And if you can, being able to hold those things is true without judgment. Mm -hmm. And then that just carries us so powerfully into being able to do something about it without being as kind of cruel to ourselves in the process of it. I think that a lot of people have a pretty cruel mentality when it comes to setting resolutions or things like that. They're oriented in, through this like very self-punishing kind of framework of, oh, I've been doing all these bad things, and now I need to change all this stuff, and uh. and it just feels like tight and, and that constrained feeling I was kind of talking about. And I think that the acceptance piece is a really great way to avoid falling into that particular hole. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, there is that paradox. 
Suzuki Roshi had this line, you know it already, I'm sure. You are perfect as you are, and you could use a little improvement. <laughs> that combination. Very sad. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and so we accept ourselves, beautiful, and gently. There are things we want to encourage into being. I find it's really helpful to, to build on what Buckminster Fuller pointed out some years ago as the trim tab on a giant ship. And as you may know, you could have a tanker that's a third of a mile long, maybe close to half a mile long, carrying all kinds of stuff, weighing tens of thousands of tons. And that enormous tanker is guided by a big rudder that's maybe 30 feet high and 20 feet deep, whatever the dimensions are, sorry. But the rudder, in turn, can be guided by this strip of metal called a trim tab that might be something like six inches high and four inches deep, relatively tiny compared to the rudder, which is tiny compared to the ship. But by adjusting that trim tab, you can get this enormous tanker to you know, turn around, for example. And so it's useful to think about what are the trim tabs in our own lives? Yeah, what are the long levers to maybe use a different yeah. metaphor? Yeah. What are those small, doable, daily things that are highly leveraged, partly because they sort of raise our level of being? Very simple. Like, for example, what happens if, let's say, a person deliberately takes about 30 to 60 seconds each morning before they get out of bed to center themselves in a good place? whatever that might be, the green zone, a comment for themselves, maybe a line out of scripture that they just rest in that's really helpful to them. Maybe they bring to mind someone who's like their buddy, their friend, and like what it feels to be with them. They center in. Just that. 30 seconds would make a difference over the course of their day. For many people, life a lot boils down to one really simple thing. Don't drink today. <laughs> Whatever tomorrow brings don't drink today. Think yeah. of all the complexity and substance abuse treatment and Alcoholics Anonymous and all the rest of that. And at the heart of it is a really simple trim tab. Don't drink today. Don't drink today. So what might be some trim tabs, some small, highly leveraged steps that could really make a difference in a person's, let's say, well-being and quality of life and also, perhaps separately, make a difference in their in their work, in their career. Mm. You know, and that's just mm -hmm. for people to think about. Totally. I can tell you one that always makes a difference for me is to commit to doing something contemplative every day. Could be a minute or more, but that's a real commitment I have. You know, I'll tell you another one that I really try to do is to cop to my shit as fast as I can. <laughs> I'm using a little <laughs> 70s lingo, but in California, it's a little SoCal you know, lingo. But just cop to my stuff as fast as I can when I realize yeah. uh, I kind of got a little harumph-harumphy with your mom last night as we were driving to dinner and when she mm. asked me to essentially drive a little more slowly just for her comfort and uh, got a cop to it. So how about you? One, two, or three things that are little, seemingly little, yet make a big difference? Well, I think this is a great way to think about it because it makes it nice and boring. Mm. And I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Like a lot of the time we turn change into these like big grand gestures or these huge things that we need to transform when the truth is that most of the time it's like five to 15 minutes a day. 
yeah. of doing something thoughtful or doing something a little different. One to five or, even. Yeah, or, or not not yeah. flying off the ski jump the wrong way so that you break your ankle, you know? And I think that your example of like don't drink today is a great example of that. For me, there are two categories that stand out to me. The first is a really basic behavioral kind of little things. One of my not quite resolutions, but ways I'm thinking about the next year is accepting that I'm aging, particularly physically. Uh, I've had a variety of physical health things that have popped up over the last couple of years with uh, my hip. I had hip surgery and just this whole stuff. And it's just the reality of like, I'm 35 now. I'm, you know, wandering toward or already in middle age, depending on how you want to interpret that phrase. And I just got to come to terms with the fact that I'm I'm not 22 anymore. And so in terms of the little trim tabs, uh, I have a stand desk. I don't use it as much as I probably should. So just being deliberate about for 20 minutes an hour, standing at my stand desk, you know, just making it a practice, that little thing again and again, doing a little stretching routine before I go to bed. In terms of the trimmest of the trim tabs, maybe it's getting out of bed in the morning and doing a little five-minute stretching routine. I think that that could be really, really good for me long-term. And I think that five minutes day after day would could really make a very big difference by the time that I'm 65 or 70. Then I think more of a relational one, kind of like you were talking about, Dad, where I live with Elizabeth. Elizabeth's my partner. And so much of my quality of life comes back to, like, are we in a good place or not? Uh, Thankfully, we are in a good place most of the time. You know, we're doing perfectly great. But nonetheless, it is such a a running indicator of, like, how my day is going to be is how do I feel about my relationship? And so... I just think like a little moment in the morning as we've been taking more regularly to even if we're about to go about our day in like very different directions, just a little 30 to 60 seconds of connection where you go, hey, it's, you know, it's great to see you, really love you, have a nice day. Wow, what a big difference that can make for somebody. That's great. Well, two things come to mind and I, I know we're going to be kind of wandering toward a, a close pretty soon here and I wanted to get them in. The first is just the general matter of diligence. Oh, yeah, for sure. For all the openness and spaciousness and self-acceptance that, you know, we've been talking about. Wow, there's just no replacement for effort. You got to wash the dishes every day. You just got to do it. Yeah, it is what it is. Putting points on the board, booking wins, as you would say. (laughs) Uh, Just getting it done consistently consistently. And really what it boils down to is how do you use your time? And what's that sweet spot where you're not pressuring yourself around it, you're more just simply surrendering to the exigencies, the requirements, the Tao. You're surrendering to the Tao of what is flowing through you and giving over to it. So instead of making yourself do those dishes, let's say, you just kind of relax, go, hey, we eat, we have dishes, they get dirty, they need to be cleaned, and then we eat again and create even more dirty <laughs> dishes. And I'm in the flow of that. You know, it feels really different. So one thing people can do is to, once they set their goals or know kind of what their intentions are, operationalize it. Bring it down to earth. How many minutes a day doing what? How many days a week? And work with whatever gets stirred up for within you about addressing that question, your inner step-parent yelling at you, your inner baseball coach yelling at you. Try to work with that in ways we've talked about and other people do too, so you can face it squarely. All right, you are the author of your life and you are the owner of your future. As my friend Tom 
as you know, famously said to me when I was whining and moaning about <laughs> turning 40 soon and being nowhere with my career. I think it was like 37 or six at the time. And he said, Rick, dude, do you plan on being 40? I was like, well, yeah. He said, how do you want it to be? Mm. Hopefully you'll be there to enjoy it. How do you want it to be? So diligence, really, really important. And operationalizing it, breaking it down into small pieces and taking refuge in the small steps you can take, but take them every day. Last thing, you know this, when we really step back and ask ourselves what constrains us, which is where you started, what constrains us? Actual and perceived threats to needs. And the brain is highly biased toward operating from a deficit model in which there's a deficit of the fulfillment of our needs. So that even if in the previous minute, our needs were fulfilled, we tend to come from, from scarcity and anxiety. Will they be fulfilled the next minute? Yeah, totally. yeah, and even anticipatory frustration and anger, right, about them. So it's really mm -hmm. important to do two things as best you can mm -hmm. for their own sake and for the ways in which they will free from constraints. Two things, number one, in whatever ways you realistically can, address deficits, actual deficits in the meeting of important needs. Is there a deficit in your need to be with people who think you're pretty cool, who like you, that it feels good to be around? That's an important thing. Is there a deficit in your health as you age? Are there nagging conditions that are wearing you down and constantly generating a kind of yellow light or orange light or even red light signal inside yourself, which of course immediately constrains us. Is there a real deficit there? Is there even a deficit in your need for self-expression, full self-expression? Is something blocking you? Are there people in your life who are blocking you? Are there things you can do in your schedule and your time that would free that up more? Important deficits, address them. And in particular, address delusional deficits, <laughs> perceived deficits that are just not true. And mm. one way into that is to give yourself a lot of reassurance over the course of your day when it's true. Reassurance and relief. Oh, I did accomplish this thing. Oh, the upset I feared with that person has not happened. Oh, good. I'm still here. Heart's still beating, still breathing, still here. Reassurance is way underrated. And it's an important way to help yourself experience again and again when your needs are actually fulfilled mm. in the present. And yeah. it's a great way to undermine the delusional negativity bias of the brain, which keeps broadcasting inaccurate messages to us that, oh, we gotta stay on our toes. Oh, the threat's gonna come around the corner. Oh, needs unmet in the moment. I think that's great advice. And it speaks to kind of a bigger picture thing that I was just thinking about when you were talking, which is, and this is not, necessarily easy to do, but doing what we can to relax around inevitability. Yeah. To come back to the dishes example, you're gonna have to do the dishes. You're just <laughs> you're just gonna have to do the dishes eventually. You can put them off as long as you want, but unless you're using paper plates for the rest of your life, you're gonna have to wash the resistance dishes. Resistance is so, futile. <laughs> resistance is futile. So then the question is, how much pain do you wanna feel before you wash the dishes? Yeah, that's, that's it. Right. That is the only question. It's not about, are you gonna wash them or not? It's about how much you're gonna suffer before you get around to doing it. And I think that that is such a microcosm of so many different things in our lives. Like to use Tom's example, I'm gonna turn 40. How do I want it to be? 
do I want to thrash around a lot about the fact that I'm going to turn 40? Or would it be more supportive of me to get to a place where I accept it and then I can do something about it? Maybe in the form of a nice little stretching routine every morning. Who knows? But like, you know what I mean? And I think that that is just like so much of life right there. Oh, it's totally true. And, and, and I got to say, I got to slip this in too. Go ahead. Yeah. There's a key element too where we let go of being who, who we have been. Yeah. And that takes totally. a lot of courage yeah. to basically let yourself change, let mm-hmm. the old die in a sense to make room for the new. And that's really important to, you know, sort of see yourself as more as a process unfolding. That's it. Can you see yourself as a process and can you let go, you know, into whoever you are becoming? And then delight, delight into the the undiscovered country of the future, as the proverb puts it. You know, like, wow, delight, play. Whoa, what can my life hold? What can be, you know? The fun that is implicit in possibility. Yeah, exactly. Is maybe a way to think about it. Like the fun parts of what could be possible. Oh, isn't it? It's exciting that there is something else that could be different. Totally. Yeah, that's right. I think this was great. I really enjoyed this conversation. This was awesome. As we get toward the end here, I do want to make a formal plug. If you are looking for uh, something to maybe give a little bit more guided structure to your next year, encouraging you to change in positive ways, I would just love to let you know about my dad's wonderful Foundations of Wellbeing online program. It is a program that's been around for a while, but this year it has been pretty much totally overhauled and reshot by Rick. He's spent something like 40 to 50 hours recording this sucker. So it's an awesome piece of content. It is very deep. It is very broad. If you're interested in learning more about it, I've included a link to it in the description of today's podcast. And you can also use the code BEINGWELL25 to get an extra 25% off the purchase price. And that's on top of any other promotions that we currently have running for it. It is a fantastic program. Do you want to take a minute to say a few words about it, Dad? To let people know what you're doing with it? Oh, you said it really well. And the title is a little ponderous, but it's accurate. In Mm. other words, these are the 12 fundamental psychological foundations of resilient well-being in a changing world. And so Mm -hmm. we, in effect, set the program up so that you can take a year to go through it each month, one of these 12 strengths, 12 foundations. Mm-hmm. Or you can kind of speed your way through it if you like, whatever you want. And it combines really the best of what I've learned in 50 years, really, of working with the mind, um, both in the human potential movement and then more formally in psychotherapy. And then also a lot in terms of mindfulness and contemplative practice informed by brain science. So it's highly accessible. It's really practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many, many points of entry into it. And we've had at this point just about 20,000 people already go through it, register for it. And so you're in good company. And the praise for it has really touched my heart. I kind of am surprised that people dig it so much. But yeah, Yeah. there's good stuff there. It's a totally deep offering. And it's really, I mean, sometimes we talk on the podcast about how you are are detailed to a fault. And (laughs) I think that this is where the detailed parts of the personality come through in a really positive way that like it is such a rich program. And uh, just to say again, it has been totally reshot, thoroughly reorganized. All of the talks and practices that are in it have been re-recorded by you. And uh, if you're somebody who took it in the past and you would like to take a look at the 2.0 version, that's also great. And if you just follow the link again, you can learn everything that there is to learn about the program. Thanks heaps. 
And as we look to the new year, it's really important to reflect on how do we want to give to others? Mm, mm -hmm. How do we want to affect them? What do we want to restrain so that we're not landing hard on them? What great causes in the world do we want to serve in our own corner of the world? Right? What's, our, what's the outflow, the unfolding of our own generosity and compassion and kindness toward other people? That's a very important guiding principle. And one I do try to remember myself and want to be better at remembering in mm. 2023. And I'm recalling the, the advice to myself after a meditation retreat, cling less, love more. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going to try to foreground that myself as I go into 2023. I think that's just a perfect way to end today's conversation. So today... I had a fantastic time talking with my dad about how we can step into new ways of being, the things that support us in changing, maybe the things that constrain us a little bit, and then how we can make 2023 a little bit different, a little bit brighter, and a little bit better for us and those around us in a variety of different ways. I started today's conversation with Rick by asking him if he has any big frameworks or models that influence how he thinks about growth and change in general, and particularly the ways that we can step into new ways of being in the new year. And one of the comments that he made ended up guiding a lot of the rest of the conversation, and it was this bringing together of diligence and pursuit and those more top-down functions that we have where we can really orient our behavior towards the way that we want it to be, with also this sense of freedom and openness and possibility. Because it's the combination of those two things, guidance on the one hand and freedom on the other, that when they come together, support us in changing in positive ways. And it's pretty typical for most people to be a little over-referenced toward one or the other, a little over-referenced towards guidance, a little too top-down, or a little over-referenced towards freedom, a little bit too, oh yeah, I'm loosey-goosey, I just do what I want. And my tendency, probably to the surprise of absolutely nobody who's listened to this podcast for a while, is that I'm a little over-referenced toward guidance. I can be a little tight, a little constrained, a little too regulated in a variety of different ways. And that's one of the reasons that one of my, my kind of big picture resolutions over the next year is more freedom, less constraint. Stepping into a version of myself that's less tight, less over-regulated, regulated to a fault. And this took us down a really interesting rabbit hole that I, I was not really expecting that we would wander down, and my dad made this great point about how it's normal for people to swing back and forth from one extreme to another, particularly based on maybe things that happened to them developmentally when they were younger. And the example that he gave is that people who tend to be too object-referenced maybe, or not even too, but just very object-referenced when they're younger, in other words, they really put a lot of value on the ways in which other people react to them, or maybe they're very sensitive to the reactions of others that that can then swing back when they're older to being a little bit too constrained, self-guided, tight, and so on. And, and that was definitely my personal story. And this was in reference to him asking me if I had any other people in my life or any other big picture things, ways I thought about the world that were going to support me 
in being more free. And I really thought about it. And the truth is that, yeah, I've got some friends that I lean on in that way, but I'm very self-referenced, maybe self-referenced to a fault in terms of my, my internal belief that it's really up to me to make the changes in my life. And while I think there are aspects of that view that that are useful and, and maybe even admirable on some level, the truth is that we are so affected by our relationships, the people we surround ourselves with, all of that stuff. And so it plays a huge role in if we're able to change or not. And there are ways in which I've probably been, you know, a little excessively just me on my own team. And maybe I could change in even more useful ways to me if I kind of looked outside of that narrow lens and thought a little bit more about, huh, are there ways in which I can lean into other people or take on different kinds of teachers or whatever that looks like for you, maybe, that could support my change in positive ways. And this then took us into a conversation about what tends to constrain people and what tends to support people in changing. And a huge variable in all of this, one that both constrains us and supports us, depending on the way that it is, is our environments and those other people. We talked for a while about how systems are very resistant to change and how you can feel inside of yourself when you go back to your high school reunion or you go home for Thanksgiving or whatever it is, how those old systems have an incredible power to move people into old ways of relating to each other. And this moves us again into not a paradox and the formal definition of that word, but something of a, a, a tension between opposites, which is that, for one, we are deeply communal creatures. We are so affected by and influenced by the situations and people that we surround ourselves with. And the myth of rugged individuality is just a myth. It's not true. It's a, a nice fantasy, but we we make it through based on our relationships in a lot of different ways. So that's true on the one hand. And then on the other hand, what's true is that our systems themselves are very resistant to change. They seek to maintain their homeostasis. They don't want to change because change is hard, the known is safe, change takes energy, all of these different things. So we are both changed by our systems and our systems don't really want to change. And that's part of the reason that change is often really difficult for people because they're putting all of this energy into something that doesn't really want to move. And then they're also kind of trapped in the mud of their environments. So one of the most effective things that we can do if we really want to change is to see how we can shake the snow globe a little bit and mix up our environments, surround ourselves with people who are really in support of the best parts of us, or look for ways to break the pattern of our everyday life, even if that's just by taking an extra 60 seconds to start the day, to really orient ourselves towards something that we truly care about. And then we come to the last little tension that we talked about over the course of the conversation, which is this tension between acceptance and change. There's this great line from Carl Rogers, to paraphrase it, it's when we accept ourselves, then we can change. And this runs underneath so many of our episodes. It's something we've talked about over and over again. And it's just a fundamental tension in psychology. And I don't totally understand why it is, but I know that it's true. It's that when I really meet myself where I am, it's then that I can move. And meeting ourselves where we are can be an extremely uncomfortable process. It's been very uncomfortable for me in the past. But that doesn't change the fact that that's what allows us to move forward in a lot of ways. And I just really enjoyed this conversation today. I got a lot out of it personally. I hope that you could tell that as you were listening. 
And I hope you did as well. It's also good to know if you're kind of into these episodes that are a little bit more talking about our own material and bringing it to the front. And if you are, please feel free to leave us a review or a comment. If you're not, please feel free to do the same. And you can also reach us at contact at beingwellpodcast.com. It is always great to get some feedback on how we're doing and what you would like to hear more of. If you've made it this far and you are somehow not subscribed to the podcast, it would be great if you could do that. Uh, That really helps us out. You can also find me on YouTube if you would like to watch episodes rather than listen to them. I think you can find a link to my YouTube in the uh, description and summary of today's podcast on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on. And hey, if you would like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for just a few dollars a month, you can support the show and you'll get a bunch of bonuses in return. Thanks again for supporting the podcast, for listening to us over the last year. Uh, It has just meant so much to me. And we'll talk to you soon.